Well, good morning. Um, at times we see things uh, differently. Uh, depending on our background or uh, our life circumstances, uh, perhaps our underlying opinions and beliefs. If I go to a restaurant or a cafe or something, then I generally see things a little bit differently to perhaps what other people do. Um, looking through the eyes of experience and in the industry and I'm looking at the way they serve and the presentation and depending on the price of the place, it depends on the expectations of the place. Uh, recently we were looking at houses and while I went through a, place, a house and Rachel and we were looking for how big the area for the fridge would be and the, the TV and what, what sort of cupboard space we had, uh, we were fortunate enough to have Lee give us a hand and with the experience of his eyes and his, um, sorry, the experience that he has and he was looking at the place through his eyes with his background, different to the way we were looking at it. He was looking at foundation and price and, and it was very helpful. Looking back at verse 1 of chapter 18, the disciples were interested in knowing who is the greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus, knowing the disciples' hearts and attitudes and thoughts, went through this illustration, uh, a number of illustrations about humility and what greatness looks like in heavenly terms, uh, what greatness looks like through God's eyes. Becoming like a child, humbling yourself to be open and honest and trusting. Going out of your way for those that need Christ and those that need direction. Greatness in the kingdom is humbly and gently dealing with a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned and there is a need to confront them privately about it. Perhaps to bring it to their attention or perhaps to stop it affecting others in the church. And, and so that brings us to this illustration here of forgiveness and in verse 21 Peter asked the Lord a question, Lord how many times then? How many times shall I forgive my brother? And of course Peter would know of the rabbi's teaching of the time that it was accepted to forgive three times. Um, a brother who sinned uh, the same sin against you it was taught to forgive three times but the fourth not really so much. And so with that in mind, and they all would have known that, that Peter said, how many times, Lord? Seven times? That's more than double what's taught. It's more than double what's expected. Perhaps Peter was thinking Jesus would think Peter is great. He's offering to forgive seven times, the perfect number, God's number. We can often fall in the trap of thinking greatness is impressing those around us. Fall into the trap of thinking 
It's better to be great in the eyes of those around us than it is to be great in the eyes of God. How often we like to impress and do more than what people are expecting of us, do more than what others are doing around us. But that's not what greatness in God's eyes is. Jesus makes a mockery of Peter's attempt really to feel great about forgiveness. And depending on your version, but uh, Jesus goes on to say, not seven, but 77, or you might have 70 times seven. The, the figure is irrelevant, but the attitude is not to, to continually be prepared to forgive and to love and, and to pick people up again and get them back on life's journey. Jesus' response to Peter's question is started by him saying the kingdom of heaven is like and then he goes on to tell this parable. This is what God is like, Peter and disciples. This is what God is like. This is how those who will inherit eternal life should look like. This is what forgiveness should look like in those that claim to be followers of Jesus. We have to view forgiveness from God's point of view, through God's glasses. And so Jesus goes on to teach about forgiveness through this parable and he starts with a king and a servant. Uh, Not the usual servant that you might have in mind like a a housemaid um, but more likely an administrator, perhaps a a government administrator that had some financial responsibility and not only is he probably broke but he's in a lot of debt, a lot of trouble. Um, In that day, just quickly, a a talent... um, I think the version Andy had, it just said bags, like bags of gold. A talent is a weight. It's around 34 kilos. And it, it says that it, that would be equivalent to around 6,000 denarii, the currency of that time. Um, if we were just to say, for argument's sake, put it in today's uh, dollar currency, it would be, uh, let's say, uh, one talent would be $6,000. And later on we read that this servant is chasing another servant for a hundred denarii. Just keep that in mind. One talent equivalent to $6,000 and he's in 10,000 talents of debt. That's not $600,000 or $6 million, It's $60 million. The point is making it it's an unpayable debt. It's not something that he can pay off in the next 10 years. It's a crazy debt that is unpayable. And the king brings him before, brings the servant before him and says, you can't pay it, I'm going to sell your family, I'm going to sell everything you have and you know what, it's not even going to scratch the surface of the debt but that's what I'm going to do to you. And he falls to his knees and begs for more time. He says, I'll pay back everything. Well, we know that's not true. Can't pay it back. 
but that's the sort of desperate situation he finds himself in. I'll pay back everything. And the king has mercy upon him and cancels the debt and lets him go. And then the servant then goes out and finds another servant who owes him a hundred denarii, which they say one denarii was sort of a, a, an average day's wages. So a hundred days, say, work. A few months' work he owes this servant. And he doesn't just come up to him and ask him for the money or to set up a direct debit payment system. But he grabs him around the throat and starts choking him, saying, give me my money, pay me back. And just like that servant was before on his knees, he too is on his knees before him and asking him, begging him, please, kids, give me some time, I will pay it all back. And not only does he not accept that and say, okay, I'll accept that over a period of time. And not only does he not do that, he doesn't even cancel cancel the debt as he just received from the king. If what people knew of God's forgiveness was what they saw in the way you showed forgiveness to others, what would they think of God and the way he forgives? Before we read on about what Jesus says at the end of that parable, I want to look at a few things, three things, three points that impact, uh, that forgiveness has um, when we forgive and the impact it has on us in our lives. The first is forgiveness brings freedom. Originally the king had cancelled his debt and just let him go. Didn't put a tracker on him to see where he'd go but he let him go. Um, There's just a few Bible references. I don't need you to turn to them but I'd like you to listen to them as I read them out and just have this theme in mind that forgiveness brings freedom as we think about our position before Christ. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And the last one says in Galatians 5.13-14, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We, fortunately, are not slaves to God in order to work off the unpayable debt that we have to him. 
He has graciously and mercifully sent Jesus Christ to pay that price, to pay the debt for our sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Before the master freed the servant from his debt, he was terrified. He was begging for mercy. He was begging to not be sold with his family and his belongings. He was going to be prepared to spend his whole life repaying the unpayable debt. And the king just wipes the slate clean and says, no, there is no debt. You're free to go. What a change of mindset he would have had. And the fact is this morning that God looks down here on us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we no longer face the penalty for sin, which is death, because Jesus has died in our place. And we are set free, not only from the eternal consequences of sin, but we are set free from living in sin and living under the rule of sin and the power of sin. We're set free from that, but now we live with Christ living in us and we live no longer for sin, but we live for Christ. And this freedom of of life, this freedom that we've just read about is only found when we find the forgiveness of of Jesus Christ for our sin. But what about when it comes to forgiving one another? Because that's it's good and it's good to know and understand how God has forgiven me for an unpayable debt and I can take that forgiveness and it's fantastic. But what about now when it comes to forgiving each other. Things that we've done to hurt each other, things that we've said that break relationships down. Um, I was reading online and I, I've come across this illustration that I thought was good and I thought I'd, I'd share it appropriately uh, this morning. Um, that someone put it like this, that when we don't forgive one another it's like keeping someone prisoner and there's barriers in that relationship and someone's holding the key but they're not willing to let them go. But you see, holding someone prisoner because you don't want to forgive also means that you're like the jailer who has to stand beside that cell with this key and you also are like a prisoner because you've got nowhere to go. So really both of you aren't experiencing the freedom that we should experience as Christians until there is forgiveness 
Secondly, forgiveness restores relationships. A number of years ago, um, some of you would be well aware of the circumstances of, of my family and I always thought it was something that wouldn't happen in my family and you know, it was something that you saw and you, and you saw happening in others and you felt sorry for them and you thought, oh gee, that must be hard. And that might make me naive and ignorant um, but it also made me unforgiving And it, it took time to realise that forgiveness restores relationships. And I can testify this morning that the only reason there is a relationship and relationships between some people in my family is because there's been forgiveness. And I know there isn't much spoken about the relationship between the king and the servant but it's an important point I think to raise this morning and to share because God's purpose for our lives from the very beginning was that we'd be in relationship with our creator. That's how he created Adam and Eve in a relationship with him as we spoke about earlier this year. But because of sin and the fact that we are born in sin, our relationship is broken with our Creator and we are born separated from God. But because Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin and because we are forgiven through his sacrifice, then the fact is our relationship can be now restored with our Creator because we're forgiven. Forgiveness from God will restore our relationship with God if we come before him and accept him as our Saviour and say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I do accept your forgiveness and your grace. So if God is so willing and so lovingly given Jesus Christ to die in our place and to bring forgiveness to us and to restore relationship between us and him, it's so easy to see the importance that he has placed on it and the priority that God has placed on it, then shouldn't we be prepared to forgive and restore relationships that are broken because of sin. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy to say no to revenge, to say no to anger and release resentment against someone. It doesn't make that part easy but it makes it what we should be doing. It makes it right. And it doesn't mean relationships are restored instantly. 
when we forgive. It may take a long time or a short time to restore relationships with one another. But God places so much importance and priority on it that I think so should we. Thirdly, forgiveness brings life. As I said before, originally the servant was facing death in jail. Um, Originally he was dealing with a a life of being sold, um, perhaps into slavery, but perhaps a life in prison before this debt was paid off and it was generations and generations of debt. But then the debt was cancelled and he walks away. He walks away with his family, he walks away with his belongings. Colossians 2.13 says says this, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How have we been made alive in Christ? Because we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been freed from the penalty of our sins. We've been restored into a relationship with our Creator. And now Jesus Christ comes into our life to change us and transform us to become more Christ-like. And that is living. That is being made alive. That is life as God had originally planned it. And this life is only made available when we are forgiven. So again I ask, if what people knew of God's forgiveness was what they saw in the way you showed forgiveness, what would people think about God and the way he forgives? Two verses in Colossians and Ephesians. Uh, The first one is Colossians 3.13. It says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How many times, Peter? Seven times? Do you think you're great because you're offering seven times to forgive someone? What about the eighth and ninth? Aren't you glad that God hasn't put a cap on forgiveness in your life? That it's not three anymore. That it's not 3,000 or 3 million. It's unlimited. God forgives and forgives because the price has been paid from the beginning until the end. Then as we go on living this life, what limit have you put on forgiveness? to those that you live with, to those around you, to those in your community, to those in this church? Do we limit 
how much we're going to forgive one another. Seeing people and treating people as God sees them and as God loves them and God forgives them. To forgive as, as Christ forgave you. Eventually, the master catches up with the wicked servant. And he throws the wicked servant to the torturers. This is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart, Jesus says. Does that tell you enough of the priority and the importance of forgiveness that God has? So then you might be scratching your head thinking that's a pretty harsh verse. Does it mean now that God will forgive me when I start forgiving others? Maybe I need to forgive better then Jesus will forgive me for everything I've done. Don't miss the point here that the forgiveness that you show to others isn't about then receiving forgiveness. The forgiveness that you show to others is the evidence and the proof that you have been forgiven from God. And the fact that he forgives unconditionally and uncapped should then flow out into your life in the way that you show forgiveness to others. Don't keep count and don't think greatness is about doing more than what Garth does or forgiving more than Ben or exceeding the expectations of those around us. Greatness in the eyes of God is about not seeking revenge and seeking justice and seeking to hold people to account and to hold on to anger and resentment. But to have an attitude of constantly forgiving, creating freedom, restoring relationships and being used by God to see people being made alive in Christ and living the life that he's called us to live just as God has done for you. I finished with this story that um, actually Stuart and Carolyn brought my attention to it and I found it online. It, um, it's really interesting and, and just if you can listen just for the last couple of minutes here. In, in 1956, five American missionaries... I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead... In 1955, back one year, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, uh, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley and Roger Udarian were American missionaries working in Ecuador. They had learned of a savage tribe of Indians that had killed several Shell Oil Company employees and violence was the way of life for this tribe known as the Orcas. 
Fearless, the missionaries initiated contact through an ingenious method of lowering a bucket of gifts from a small aeroplane. As Nate Saint flew the bright yellow aircraft overhead, a bucket was lowered on a long rope. It would remain uh, motionless just long enough for several curious orcas to help themselves to what was inside. Thinking that they had gained their trust after doing this for several months. The missionaries landed their plane on a sandbar in the Carare River. Over the next few days they made several friendly face-to-face encounters and even gave one of the orcas named Kiwi a ride in the aeroplane. But on January 8, 1956, those five missionaries were attacked and brutally murdered by the tribe. The images of the mutilated bodies recovered from the Carare River appeared in newspapers all across the county. Two years later, in 1958, in what could only be described as one of the greatest acts of forgiveness in the 20th century, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, went to live with that tribe. Both women had studied the tribe's language and had learned their culture. Their demonstration of forgiveness to the men who murdered their loved ones, it so moved the tribe that they eventually were given opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel. Many members of the tribe were converted to Christianity. Years later, Nate Saint's son, Steve, moved his family from Florida to live with the tribe. His children now call one of the tribal elders a man who speared Steve Saint's father to death, Grandpa. If what people knew of God's forgiveness was only in what they saw in the way you forgive. What would they think of God and the way he forgives? Would you bow your heads and just take a moment this morning because there may be someone here who is really hurt and I don't need to say anything more. I just want you to take a moment between you and God. You know what it is. Maybe you need to show forgiveness. Maybe you need to say I forgive you to someone. It might have been yesterday or the week before or the year before and you've been holding someone prisoner and you've been there with them and you haven't experienced the freedom that we're called to experience as Christians. Just take a time to to talk to God about it because... 
there might be a relationship that needs to be restored. And you might need to be challenged this morning to gain the courage to say to someone, I forgive you. And it's only something that God can help you do. Lord God, thank you that you have extended forgiveness to us, uncapped from the beginning of time to today and into the future. We continue to fail you and fall short of your glorious standard. Lord, please give us the courage and the strength and sometimes the boldness to approach those who have hurt us and to say, I forgive you. And it might not be taken well, and it might take a long time to restore the relationship to how it once was, but to be obedient to your word, we need to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And for those of us who perhaps have hurt others, give us the humility to say sorry, to create freedom, to restore relationships and that we may live being made alive in Christ, being made Christ-like as you've called us to live. In Jesus' name.